welcome back to Now Screaming. I'm Liz Smart. And I'm Evan Culbertson. And we're watching the movies of Fantasia Festival. Again! (laughs) This is our wrap-up of the 25th annual Fantasia Festival, which was such a delight. It was a great year. Oh my god, such a great year of Fantasia Fest. Again, we're so glad that we got the opportunity to cover this festival. The movies we're talking about this episode and our previous Fantasia episode, again, we encourage you to check them out whenever that happens to be a possibility for you. Yeah, a lot of them get deals on Shudder. A lot of them come to theaters later on. Like, this isn't the last we'll see of these movies, hopefully. So yeah, the festival's over. You can no longer check things out on Fantasia's website, as we encouraged last time. I hope you got a chance to look at it, because it's a great website. (laughs) But... We're going to talk about some of our favorites from the second half of the festival. Yeah, do a little recap. That's what this episode's about. Love it. Let's jump right in with the first one of this episode. Uh, That would be Don't Say Its Name, directed by Ruben Martel. This is a really interesting, like, indigenous, monster of the week style horror film that is about a community and specifically some tribal members of this community that also plays out a little bit like... A supernatural episode? Yeah, it's a, very, a, very much in, in a, a good, good way, way. In a good yeah. way, because it's one of those things that's like, it's very monster of the week. It's very like problem comes to small town with folk legend and people are affected and they sort of resolve it internally. And while not being like the most groundbreaking format of a horror movie, it's one just a really excellent format and two really elevated because I think of this indigenous aspect. There's so many horror movies that steal and borrow from indigenous culture, but in order to tell white stories and this being like an indigenous A real like first nations filmmakers making a, a story about indigenous people is fantastic. I think that's a wonderful precedent to set. I agree. This is like perfect, like Friday night popcorn horror movie fair. Like when you want to watch like a horror movie, I really think this is ideal. Agreed. To your point, I agree that, like, I don't know if this is breaking new ground um, from a filmmaking sense. Yeah. But I would absolutely encourage this to everyone who likes movies like that. It was... I love that. Not everything needs to be, like, setting, paving new ground in horror, right? I love just watching, like, a great kind of, not quite slasher, but, like, monster movie kind of haunting movie. I love that. I think it's just such a great way to spend a couple hours. Especially if it's good, which this is. It is. (laughs) The next film we're going to talk about is called When I Consume You, written and directed by Perry Blackshear, whose film They Look Like People was a festival hit a few, I guess more than a few years ago now, that we watched that we thought had some really interesting ideas. Yeah. This is about a sibling duo a sibling duo who are dealing with something that has been haunting them since childhood yes, some sort of demon and i don't want to give away the inciting incident even no 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 don't i wouldn't um because it was actually very different it was a really interesting shock and i think that that preserving that's a good idea but i think it's what's so fascinating is just that this filmmaker is so interested in this concept of like reality versus the stories we tell ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, to kind of get through and the concepts of mental illness and how they present in horrific ways to the people who experience them, which I think is a very tough subject sometimes to get into. We talk about it a little bit in our Unmite Shyamalan episode, but uh, 
is something that this this filmmaker is really interested in doing and I'm 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 along for the ride with that. I'm also interested in like what they're trying to ask and accomplish in this movie. Absolutely. And this is the same core acting group as well. It's a very small cast as they look like people. And I think that like they clearly work really well together. Yeah, it's nice to see. There's there's such a sense of like being able to take risks and act really intimately with each other. Yeah. The performances are very standout on this, I, th- I do think. I agree. And I think visually, there's some like really scary moments. I'll admit that I didn't totally understand everything that was going on. <laughs> no. <laughs> throughout the course of this, but I... I, I did like it, and I think that... I'm especially interested to see what he continues to do. Yeah. I'm very excited about, like, just what is being talked about in both of these movies. I think they're very much in conversation with each other. I really enjoy that. Yeah, I'll say that my, my one note would be that I think that he's a little literal for me, Perry Blackshear. Uh, I would like to see, especially his visual talent, go somewhere a bit more abstract. Sure. I think that he nails the metaphors that he goes for. Yeah. But I could definitely see a major step forward in terms of making things less literal and playing with some of the nightmarish imagery. Genuinely nightmarish stuff that that I agree. I think this comes back to a conversation we've had a couple times about like trauma metaphors in horror, which is very big right now. Um, It's something that a lot of filmmakers are trying to play with. And I think you and I would both like to see less metaphor, more more literalization of monsters themselves. And I'll confess, we watch more horror movies than the average person. Sure. <laughs> probably even the average horror fan. We have a podcast about it. <laughs> so like, I think that we're probably inundated with this more than your average horror viewer. So I think that us asking for something more or wanting something more is not a poor reflection on movies like this or like no. the movies we talked about, either in Fantasia Very or... True. Or just on rolling the roulette. the roulette, yeah, right. I think that we're just ready for this trend to evolve. It's a trend. I mean, that's exactly what it is. Which is that if we were in the '90s, we might be like, we're sick of slasher flicks, or right. like in the '80s, like we're sick of like practical monster effects. Like it just I happens. That, <laughs> you never know if we were living in the '80s. But you, I mean, I think I think it's just that it's very very trendy right now, and I totally understand it because I love it and I get it. But this was this just happened to be like very emblematic of it in a way I think yeah. both of us were like, oh, we again cannot wait to see what comes out of this filmmaker in the future as we continue to kind of like walk down these roads and explore these concepts. Absolutely. The next film is Martyrs Lane, directed by Ruth Platt, which has been purchased by Shutter and will be available relatively nice. soon. Great. This is a kind of classic haunting film of a little about a little girl being haunted by some sort of other little girl specter, some sort of a memory of her family's past in some kind of potential way, a little uh, angel played by Sienna Sayer, who actually won the rising star award in the Fantasia awards um, this past week, which is literally so unbelievably well-deserved. Sienna Sayer is fantastic in this. She is haunting and terrifying but very empathetic like just i really felt for her as a character even though she's like an angel ghost only a little more than a specter to our main character but god like did i feel for her i just want to say this film rests on the backs of her and the the little girl who's the actual protagonist played by kira thompson and if this was a couple of like we're talking about children here i'm gonna say actresses but like we're talking about children little kids if they weren't up to the task 
they this, this movie wouldn't work at all. Fall flat, yeah. And she's so fantastic. The two of them absolutely can carry this movie. Yeah, and that's impressive. Because they have a lot of just right. conversations. Like it, this movie does not hide behind a lot of kind of effects. It's very no, no, no. verbose, and the conversations between these two little girls, like in the dead of night, are so gripping and terrifying. I just love it, and I and I love this kind of thing. I'm very into it. The sort of like haunted by the mistakes of your family kind of stuff, and uh, the little girl, our main character, is um, growing up like in a rectory, and so there's all this kind of like chaos and religion and secrets and shame that are so part of all of it that I just really, really, really enjoyed the the feel of this movie in in, in total. And honestly, like even though it's a couple of little little kids it really doesn't shy away from some like gruesome stuff yeah limited i think that it really it not that it pulls its punches but it definitely like doesn't overdo it on it the shows you effects and the fear yeah it really like makes you wait for it a lot of suspense more than shock the things that we see are actually pretty upsetting and and intriguing agreed and it's sort of like a mystery. Yeah. There's a lot of clues that we're putting together, which I always just love. I love when there's a little bit of like solving a a puzzle or a mystery in a horror movie. I'm just very excited about this. I'm very excited that it's coming to Shutter. Yeah, people it's are going to be fun for people to watch really soon. Absolutely. Next up is something that is is premiering at Fantasia in Canada, but that we actually did not see at Fantasia. We saw it in a real life movie a theater. Real life theater. <laughs> Popcorn and all. And it's called The Night House, directed by David Bruckner, who made a movie for Netflix, I believe, a couple years ago called The Ritual. And he also did one we of the VHS. covered on this podcast. Yeah. I forgot that we did The Ritual for this podcast. But we, we did, yeah. It was yeah. epic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we really liked it. My memory of it is that my only problem was the gruesome forest people, but I can forgive it. Uh, a lot of incredible imagery in that movie and a lot of like... We talked incessantly about like the questions it was asking and Mm -hmm. the frustration between characters. And I think that like continues to come through in this movie a hundred percent. I will say, I think that I'll preface this by saying that I don't think that there, there has been a settled consensus on this film yet, but the two of us are very enthusiastic about the night house. I love it so much. This I movie love it so much. Rocks. And part of that I think is that we got to see it in the theater. Yeah, it's gripping in the theater. Part of it is also that like this is like one of my favorite horror movies of the year so far. And I encourage you to go out and see it because I think that it's being poorly served by word of mouth. This is me shaming yeah, everyone who is not talking about it. I don't understand this. it. I don't understand why we're not talking about it or why the people who are talking about it seem to have a problem with it. Like one, Rebecca. Let's talk Hall, about what it is. I Rebecca Hall lost her husband and she loses her mind. That's she loses, it. <laughs> yeah, it's very simple. She's in a spooky little lake house that is unbelievably beautiful. Like the design of these of this movie in terms of architecture is gorgeous, but it's an incredible performance by Rebecca Hall. She's Amazing. just fantastic. I don't I I can't even she's just wonderful. I love I loved her walking into this movie. I continue to love her. She's Joins incredible. The Pantheon alongside Elizabeth Moss in The Invisible Man last year. Oh in terms of just for sure. bravura like horror performances that like carry the film. Yes, absolutely. And like women being like like exploring the Is that little women, uh Saoirse Ronan? <laughs> women. women. <laughs> Exploring the secrets and 
follies of the men that they have loved, which is like just a great, I think it's a great premise. It's always a great premise to be like, what was wrong with these men? What were they hiding? It's always so good. And this has some genuine scares. I was like, like digging my nails into your arm in the theater. (laughs) And it's also like really touching. I did cry. And I feel like that's like the best sell I can give you for a horror movie is that I was terrified and I cried. That is like my ultimate experience. I want to get ahead of this and and not say too much about this film, but say that this threads the needle perfectly with the aforementioned trauma metaphor stuff versus what is real, what is imagined, what Agreed. is mental illness, what is yes. surreal A genuine or supernatural. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't want to say any more than that, but I think that this succeeds where some other movies have a harder time winning me over. Mm-hmm. I think this nails it. Other other people who have seen this movie think that it leans too heavily one way or the other. I loved it. I was really won over by it. I think that it asks its audience to keep up with it in a way that I really respected. It expects its viewers to put together the puzzle pieces without over-explaining it, without over-literalizing it. And I really love that about it. I really think The Night House is genuinely a huge step up from the ritual which again we also liked right but it's a great growth yeah we, we, i think i see the like the the lines that connect them but i see the the upward movement which i love to see and one I of my favorite horror movies of the year absolutely. for sure me too and i just think that it's 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 great i don't i don't want to get too far into it but i just think that like it breaks of i would say specific horror trends we've been seeing like you already said of like the moral the literal the metaphorical it just it it breaks free of a lot of chains i've seen horror movies be bound by in the past few years that i was really excited to see that this movie kind of could shine through absolutely check it out when it when it comes to streaming because it's in theaters now next up is hashtag blue underscore whale directed by anna zetseva as i said before a classic internet horror movie these are called screen life movies. Screen life, like according to the press materials for this, which I, it's a uh, term I hadn't heard before. Well, it's very new. It's like searching, like searching, or like the den. What's the other one we did for the we podcast? Did? Not we, unfriended. It was the den. No. no, no, but unfriended was not a screen. The life friend movie. request. No, friend request was not a screen life movie. Remember, we saw them in their lives doing right. things. We saw some Facebook stuff, but no, this is specifically just like the den and just like searching because it is only on the computer screen itself. And And phone screens. And phone screens. And I will say, I actually, I watched this on my computer screen. I'm not sure how you watched it. And I How else would I watch it it. on a laptop screen? I don't know. You have a television. No, for the Fantasia, I was watching things on a computer screen. Good, because I think this was well served by it. There's a nice kind of moment in the beginning where the laptop screen is cracked. And seeing that on my laptop was just a very fun way to kick off this movie. This is a Russian film based on a series of real life suicides that is about a viral game and a girl whose sister kills herself because of this blue whale game who then goes to immerses herself in the dark world of the blue whale on facebook or the the fake facebook equivalent to (laughs) To try and solve it to try and solve it and uncover the people who are responsible and revenge herself upon them this movie is nuts the pacing of this movie, this is good. It's not a complaint. The pacing of this movie is so breakneck yeah. that 
It felt like it was about to end every, every minute. Every five minutes, I was like, okay, so now we're in the third act? No, it's been yeah, 15 no. minutes. I was, five minutes in, I was like, okay, so we're, it's over. Like, every single time. And again, that's not a complaint. It's just no, it totally well. unique experience. I think it's a testament to this film's unique feel. Like, eventually, I will confess that after 90 minutes, I became fatigued by that. But it sure. kept me engaged the entire time yeah and it's it's a helpful thing movies like these when the our protagonist is a teenager yeah (laughs) because if our protagonist is an adult i'm like get a grip but if our protagonist is a teenager i'm like you know what same like we've all been there (laughs) we've all gotten wrapped up in internet stuff we shouldn't have in memes and comments and things like that teenagers find leadership in strange places so i think it all it all actually really made sense to me in a way that i was like frustrated by but in a way that i'm I, i'm supposed to be right absolutely i think the filmmaking is really effective i think that it uses the the aforementioned screen life stuff really well mm-hmm. again it's just so gripping and i don't want to talk about the plot and the ending so no, unfortunately no, no. i can't go into any more detail it's just a good it's just a great uh gimmick I think that we yeah. can call it a gimmick, but it's a gimmick I enjoy. I felt the same way about the movie searching. That's just like when something's happening on your screen, there's a live feel to it, right? You're mm-hmm. like watching someone's, um, like when you close out FaceTime and you can still see yeah. yourself in the in the window. This is heavily utilized. That you're like, I'm watching this person get like dragged off screen or like, you know, something horrible is happening and you feel, you feel that powerlessness, mm-hmm. I think more than you do watching a movie because you're like, this is how we all communicate is through like chats and video calls and things like that. It just, it adds this element of, this is why I love this kind of a kind of, it's almost like found footage, but it's slightly different. Yeah. It adds this level of reality it, that's so immediate. It's an evolution and innovation on, on found footage. Yes, for sure. This is not a profound observation for me to make right like this isn't no we all know it it's also been several years that that this has been the kind of movie that that is but i think that it absolutely is in that tradition and lineage and and i hope that it can continue trying to take steps forward i think this does more with it than searching or an unfriended movie part part of that is that how frenetic it is but this is like the way it uses screen real estate the way that it zooms in on things the way that it moves around the screen i actually i, well, I think it's really actually, effective i don't think i'm not sure about this but when searching came out the live function was underused it was it may have existed but i don't think it gets used often in, what is live um that's what happens a lot in hashtag underscore blue whale is that she goes live the one thing i do want to say about this and this is unfortunate and i don't know who to task with this <laughs> but the this is a russian film and again, it takes place on screens. Mm-hmm. So all of the on-screen text on the Facebook interface, on the like the messages that are being sent, yeah, have been translated into English. Right, but and they're unfortunately, still speaking Russian. They they have been they've been translated into English pretty poorly. There are extreme inconsistencies. Names are spelled differently from one scene to the next. Mm-hmm. There's a group chat that she's in. The name of the group chat changes several times. And it's just like, yes, thousands of words of text on screen have to be translated for every frame of this film. So I can cut them a little slack, but it made the experience of watching this a little distracting when there's already so much else going on that there's a character named Lana Del Rey. And <laughs> Roll with it. <laughs> her name changes from Luna Del Rey to Lona Del Rey. 
several times over the course of this film. So if you're trying to pay attention, as you should be, to uncover the mystery along with the protagonist, you're looking at the words on screen, and the words on screen are inconsistent. It's so funny. I sort of just assumed that was, like, part of it in some in some situations. Because I will say, like, I maybe I'm coming in defense of this movie a little bit too much, but I will say that I think that, one, translation to English from foreign countries is something that does happen in, like, outside of movies in a in a inconsistent way you know like i at, at one point her- so you think it's intentional in you think so- that it goes from buttercaps like the rain to buttercups love the rain that's just like it's just like a a surreal thing that's happening i can't speak for everything. not a mistake i can't speak for everything there are some things i thought were intentional like especially actually the misspelling of people's names because i have i have had personal experience with this that like the the name her sister's name is is like Yulia, yeah, and they call her Julia at one point, and that is actually something that happens when translated to English. When people translate Russian to English, they'll just be like, "Her name's Julia." I think that those those inconsistencies happen in translation in real life, so I I kind of forgave it a little bit, but I understand what you're saying. Again, that is not a that has nothing to do with the filmmakers. That has nothing to do with the product that was created by the artists behind this film. Mm-hmm. It is a factor of translating something with so much on screen text to an english language market yeah it's hard which again fantasia is is bilingual in the first place so right. like they have so many francophone viewers that and it's smart it's it's one of those movies that is smart about like there's nothing that bothers me more than when you are watching a movie and someone is texting and there's like no past conversations with this person's best friend or you know what i mean like when the texting is so out of the world of the movie this is a film in which it's like when she goes on to you know, the equivalent of Facebook chat, you can see all her past messages and the world therein is built. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. I think that I would be remiss if I didn't mention it because I think that when this gets released more widely, is more widely available, it will likely have similar problems. Sure. I absolutely forgive the the people responsible for this translation. It is an extremely difficult job. Again, it's almost every frame of this movie. Right, because there's so much world building in the screen itself with all of the stuff going on. Yeah, I would recommend this movie. I think that it it's really ambitious. It's a great double feature with We're All Going to the World's Fair, which we talked about in our previous absolutely. Fantasia episode, and like we said, we'll probably talk about it again. And in terms like a, of like virality and internet, yeah, like, shaping if this is the reality. kind of movie that you like, because I can speak for myself, it's the kind of movie I like, d- like digging into the internet and social media and how it all works and the horror of it all. I think this is very much up specific people's alley. Yeah, absolutely. Next up is a Taiwanese horror film called The Sadness, directed by Rob Jabaz, which requires upfront the biggest trigger warning. Yeah. That we have ever given on the podcast. Because this is the goriest, most gruesome, most like shockingly vile, sexually, gorily, in terms of the things that are said in it. And that we witness. Yeah, you have to you have to be willing to stomach this. This is a zombie movie of a kind that I can't say I've ever seen before. Yeah. It's interesting. I I'm actually I liked really it. glad. I will say I liked it. Insofar as one can like it's hard, Yeah, it's this. hard to say, like, I liked it. I loved it. I was, you know, it's it's horrifying and it's very evil. And I'm very glad because I did see a tweet before we watched this movie that was like, everything you've heard is true. It really is that fucked up. And I was like, oh, God, <laughs> what am I about to watch? So I'm very glad I had that warning. So we bequeath that warning to you as well. 
Um, it's sort of, I would say, in some ways, it's almost like a possession movie as well. It is a zombie movie for and sure. It's a COVID movie. It's, it's viral. Yeah, it's it's about a virus being passed through bodily fluids. Where have I heard that before? But it also it's something about it, it's very demonic. I think that's what, like I would call it closer to the the possession movies that I've seen than necessarily the zombie movies because of the way people speak. Let's be honest about what happens. So people get turned into zombies, except when they are in this state, they want to do the vilest shit imaginable, like in a sadomasochistic, like torture way. This film is just filled to the brim with torture and mutilation, right? Like bodily mutilation and aggression. Like, violent aggression and sexual aggression and every type of, like, from Igor to cannibalism. Just, like, (laughs) everything that could upset you, this is 90 minutes of it. Yeah. That, like, I'm making it sound so unpleasant because the actual minute-to-minute watching of it, it never never enters that, like, fun zone that, like, I don't want to speak for you, listener, but, like, we can enter when we're watching something really violent and like nasty in in horror that's like fun and like wow this ultra violence is entertaining because I'm it's to think of an so example. like what do, what do you mean when you say that Texas I... Chainsaw Massacre 2 Yeah anything that's like yeah we're this is some crazy violence and it's fun as hell this is so, you used the word evil before it's so mean spirited <laughs> that it's like really trying to unsettle you and it is extremely effective at that. That yeah. is what it is going for. It is for, trying to upset And you, it yeah. hits on all levels. I always hesitate to call it mean-spirited because I, like, oh, that's so hard. But yes, it is trying to upset you in a way that is visceral and real. And of course, it being such a COVID metaphor is, like, extremely personal, right? Where you're like, these people are infected and they are trying to infect others and the way that they are infected is cruel and unusual (laughs) and like it's hard to not feel like wow that's personally hurtful to me a person living in 2021 yeah absolutely and again i think that the filmmaking is quite good i think that like this is deserving of the acclaim that it got and the awards that it won this won the New Flesh Award for Best Film and the Audience award, like Bronze Medal for Best Asian Feature at Fantasia. So like, I really feel like I'm I've started this description like negatively. What I'm saying isn't negative. You just need to be prepared for what you're going in for. Yeah, no, it's, because it's, I actually don't think that I was. You saw this tweet about um, it being as bad I did. As... I didn't want to influence you. I didn't see this tweet. I didn't know how gruesome this was going to be. And I, I a little bit wish that I had. But you know what? Again, these characters really work. This yeah. story really works. The gore looks great. It's upsetting, but it works. Insofar <laughs> as it, you know, great is the word for it. It's extremely effective. Like, these are people who care about practical effects and mm-hmm. doing really upsetting things with bodies that I haven't seen on screen before. And like, they do deserve kudos for that. A hundred percent. It's all about what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to upset us and it worked. (laughs) And I think that's ultimately a victory (laughs) because it's clearly what they were going for. Yeah. Again, if this sounds up your alley, if you're like, yeah, I want to see some gnarly shit. Absolutely recommend hard recommend. This is the gnarliest shit you'll see all year. Talking about it again. Like I 
saw this on Twitter. I saw people being like, holy shit, the rumors are true. And it got me hype. So like, if you want to be part of the conversation, part of the like, what are the horror movies coming out of like 2021 festivals? This is really up there. And if you can handle it, I think it's worth it. And you know what? I've seen a lot of people say that there has never been a film out of Taiwan like this. Listeners may not know that I have been immersing myself over the past year in Chinese, Taiwanese, and Hong Kong films. And as far as I can tell, that's really fucking true. <laughs> Good to know. There's a, there's a history of like really nasty and weird Hong Kong horror and genre film that this is closer to. But wow, is this something new? Yeah, for sure. Would you like to switch gears to perhaps... The fundamental opposite of this? Yeah, a movie with the opposite energy? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Which uh, front, before you even say this, this is not a horror film. No. That being said, I think it was both of our, one of our favorites of the festival. For sure. It was probably my favorite overall feature of this festival. But again, not a horror movie. Just sort of in conversation with other non-horror, horror-adjacent movies genre we've film. Uh, Genre films we've again, watched on this podcast. what Fantasia excels at so well. We wanted to make sure that we told you about it. Absolutely. And that is Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, directed by Junta Yamaguchi. This is a time travel movie? <laughs> time it, loop movie? <laughs> it's a time loop movie unlike anything I've ever seen. No, totally unique. We have been effusive on this podcast in the past of the films of Shinichiro Ueda, like One Cut of the Dead, and Special Actors, which we saw at Fantasia last year, actually which the latter of which is not strictly speaking a horror film either. This has a similar energy. So if if our effusiveness about the ebullient, like... Madcap. Madcap hijinks, But like with of these such heart. Japanese films speaks to you, this is like a this number one top of your list. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's absolutely in conversation with those movies and is the ultimate just like, let's just say... I'm a, I'm a, a huge fan of time, any kind of time movie. Doesn't be time loop, time travel, just discussing. If time happens. <laughs> if time happens, I'm there for it. And this is the same kind of thing. Time that traveler's wife? Made me, no, not the time. Don't even bring that up in my presence ever again. <laughs> uh, fuck that movie. Anyway, back to the best movie ever, Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. Uh, very simple concept. A cafe owner in his bedroom, looks at his TV. He sees himself speaking to him for two minutes, two minutes in, the in the future. He goes downstairs. There he is. He just experienced it. What he just saw on the TV. Now he's him. Now he's two minutes later, etc. <laughs> Things go from there. Spiral and that out for every single time. I thought we can't go from, we can't go on from here. It went on from there. And it was just so exciting and fun and funny and, and touching and, was asking all of the right questions. I like made you pause this movie 12 times to be like, wait, but uh, uh, like, it's just one of those great movies that makes you really think about time and how it works. And oh, I just freaking loved it. In and out in a brisk 70 minutes, it sets out to do exactly what it delivers on. I want the surprises and excitement and joy, just the pure joy of this film to be experienced. It's also like great. It's stealth. It's like a romance. It's like, <laughs> it rocks. It's the best. It, it just like touched every one of my little emotional heartstrings, you know? Yeah. Just like in every way. Absolutely loved it. Again, not Me strictly too. I horror. I hope it finds some way 
to your the audience you know out there like i you know i think this could be really beloved if it was able to find its audience if you listen to this podcast we're hoping that maybe even in some small way you relate to our taste in film and if not i'm so sorry <laughs> that you have been listening this I've been long put through this so we absolutely recommend beyond the infinite two minutes so highly so that was fantasia 25th annual fantasia 2021 congrats on 25 years fantasia yes here's 25 more oh hell yeah again we are we are here in north america though not in canada at the moment and I think that for for my money, Fantasia is the best film festival around. Consistently challenging programming, pushing boundaries, giving opportunities to highlight new filmmakers and yeah. filmmakers who we haven't even talked about a lot of the like programs that they did because one a lot of them are hard to right <laughs> to what end yeah, does yeah, that yeah. go? But like. I think that Fantasia really rocks. I think that the work they do is awesome. It's so exciting. It's just so great to see these like debuts and premieres. And we didn't even talk about any of this, but Fantasia like does a lot of work pairing features to shorts that I think is really cool. Yeah. We did watch a lot of the shorts. Like, yeah. We're not going to talk about all. We watched a lot of them, but there's a lot of really cool programming of like collections, know, collecting of- things together. And I just, I love that. I think that is so cool. Absolutely. I think that I I really look forward to their curation every year. I hope we continue to get the opportunity to cover the festival because I am a fan. Huge. Absolutely. We love Fantasia. And we encourage you to check out their work every year. Stay tuned to their socials. I feel like we're just like doing Fantasia PR now, but like, again, they deserve it. They're the <laughs> I would fucking do it best. For hours. I would do yeah. Fantasia PR for hours. All right. Our next episode will be American Mary on Shudder. If you want to catch up on that before our episode, but if not, we're watching it so you don't have to. That's our tagline. We haven't said it in a long time. (laughs) You've been doing so much festival work. We've been doing festival work, which is the opposite, which is that we are watching it so that you may also watch it someday. Yes, you (laughs) can. But someday we'll go back to our "we're watching it so you don't have to" model, which will happen with American Mary. Um, We'll see if we're watching it so you don't have to. I have no idea. I have no idea. Can't wait to find out. Can't wait to see you guys there. All right. Until next time, everybody. Stay spooky. Stay spooky.